Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of The Other 50. As with all the previous episodes, we invite amazing and kick ass ladies to come to the show and join us to talk about what they've been doing, what they're doing to change the world, and what amazing stories and what inspires them, and everything and anything under the sun except, well, their gender. Because、um, we are interested in what's under the hood. So today we have the wonderful opportunity of having Joyita Das with us on the show today. Hi, everyone. So,、um, Joyita, I am very, very curious.、Um, reading through your profile, you're a serial entrepreneur, you're in the MIT 35 on the 35 shortlist, you've lived in Quite a few different places speak multiple languages, including sign language, which I would probably say I don't think we've ever had any guest on our show that does that yet. Can you tell us and our very curious listeners who is Joyita? Who are you other than seems to be a superhuman? <laughs> well, you know,、uh, I'm totally flattered you said superhuman because most of the time I think、um, I'm not completely human, kind of not there on the evolution scale yet.、Um, so thanks for that.、Uh, who am I? It's like probably a super、um, uh, existential question. I think,、uh, I think it's worth mentioning that there are a couple of things I am that is not obvious. Probably it seems like a good way to approach the question. So, I'm actually a closet introvert,、um, which is not a very obvious thing most people know about me, given that I'm an entrepreneur and I go out there and I talk to people and I'm on TED Talks and things like that. So, it looks like I must be effortlessly at ease around large crowds of people, but actually, that's entirely untrue. I'm a super closet introvert, and when I'm not working, Um, I, I, I dislike going to networking events. I only go when I have to.、Um, I don't like crowded places. I'm a big fan of nature, and that's where I derive my inspiration from.、Um, I spend an outstanding amount of time connecting to beautiful places, being silent,、um, going on meditation retreats, reading books, watching great movies with my husband. It's a super、um, low key、uh, type of a person, which is hard to tell on the outside. But that's me.、Um, what else can I tell you? I'm also a person who's very interested in the big picture of everything、um, and normally the big picture of the world in general. What are the most common problems right now? How can we contribute as individuals, as a society,、um, as a generation? And I'm always looking at multidisciplinary approaches like macroeconomics and、uh, the physics of biology that determines evolutionary principles and things like that, topics that I'm very interested in.、Um, and I'm also vegan. So I actually love. Uh, creating vegan recipes and sharing them with a small community of friends and family for over a decade.、Um, I love animals,、um, and it's probably one of the most driving factors in my life. All right, so that was confirmed. You are superhuman. <laughs> I, I, I do like what you said about being a closet introvert.、Um, some others who know me would probably laugh at this, but I am actually, I think they call it an extroverted introvert, if that's even such a thing. It sounds like an oxymoron, but I do not like networking as much as I go to too many and way too many events.、Um, I don't like talking to strangers. I find it highly uncomfortable to be in a crowded space talking to a bunch of, well, people that are much taller than me because I'm five foot.、Yeah. 
Um, so I totally agree with you and I empathize and I love to read. Um, we will need to go back on that subject in a little bit. You mentioned you're a TEDx speaker, which is amazing. I think right now, I only know three that have done that. I'm always, always very intriguing. Um, what did you talk about? What was your topic? And how was that experience? So uh, the TEDx talk was nerve-wracking in the sense that a day before, I actually thought, am I going to call in sick and not turn up? Because I picked a very, very dangerous subject I spoke about and the topic of my life. So I spoke about who I am and how far I've come on the back of uh, what. And that basically meant talking about everything from um, where I was born to how I made a trajectory um, to, to where I am today, to personal relationships to everything. I laid it all out. I wanted people to see what my life is and um, how I made it in the way that it is right now. And if there's anything at all that anyone can learn from it, then I'm happy to discuss. So there was a lot of that. So it was nerve wracking. Basically, the main focus was um, I spent a lot of my life dreaming before I became this very action-oriented human that I am right now. Um, and so I wanted to focus on the power of dreams. I think that as a society and as a, um, as a culture, we strongly message action-oriented individuals to be highly valuable. Um, I am one of those people I have a bias to action, at least currently. Um, but I think a lot of action stems from deep thought, reflection, and the capability to dream that we highly undermine um, and I wanted to bring that out in my talk through the power of my own stories. We founded our company based on the belief that anyone and everyone could have a chance to try and be successful regardless of where they come from, regardless of their education, their background, the gender, the sex, the um, age, ethnicity, and the tagline for our company is Dare to Dream. Oh, perfect. That's great. That's amazing. That's is right. that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I love you. All right, I'm just going to say it out loud in there. Um, I, I think, like you say, the, the ability to dream um, is, is underrated. And, and in a lot of cases, people don't talk about it, right? Because they say, well, you're just dreaming about wanting to do something or it's so... It's so wishy-washy, it's so soft, it's so not like, you know, macho is a bad word for it, but not masculine enough in, yeah. in a way. And it's being seen as, as not a desirable trait, but I would argue, and I know if, if Bradley is, is on air today, he would have said, we need to, we need to dream, we need to think of a better future, we need to be able to paint a picture of where we should be, where our society should be. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, Martin Luther King made his famous speech that started with, I have a dream. It is one of the most powerful speeches of all times where he spoke about he dreams of something and what that was about. Dreams are the most powerful things we have inside of our heads. Um, and although they look wishy-washy and soft, they're a bit like butterflies. It looks like they're so soft and simple and fragile, but they're nature's strongest agents. And they're the reason we have diversity of the species. So dreams are really soft, but they're the yin to our yang. When we're out there performing actions, if we don't have dreams backing that up, we become pretty mechanical and that can kill the life out of us pretty quickly. But dreams provide resilience. 
anything, I might have to write about that. I, I, I like that very, very much so. Um, so let's talk about something that's, that's a little dreamy, but also concrete. And I think it has a lot to do with where we are right now and looking towards the future. It's, it's AI, right? People talk about AI all the time. I think if you just throw Stone out there, you will probably hit somebody who has something to do with AI or claim they have something to do with AI. Um, the website of, of your last venture, your latest, most recent venture, it's AI for everyone, um, providing no-code technology for everyone who wants to be a data scientist. Can you tell me a little bit more about how you wanted to get started with a company like that and what, in the end, are you trying to accomplish? Yeah, sure. I, I think it's fairly simple for me. It's democratizing access to AI and data sciences. Like at this point, there's uh, all the things that you said that most people will have something to do with it. Um, it's actually true for entire humanity, whether or not they're aware of it. Either they're going to be impacted by it, or they're actively participating in the change, or they're pretending to, in which case they're still impacted. They just don't know that yet. Um, but everyone is getting touched by this entire movement towards moving to AI-based technology or applied artificial intelligence. Um, and although the definition has broadened quite a bit um, recently into what is really AI and what isn't, um, I would still claim that it is still, um, it is still one of the most significantly transforming period um, in the entire era of technology so far. And five to 10 years from now, humanity will see a lot of changes because of what we're going through. Um, so what we wanted to do is uh, level the playing field a little bit, you know. Right now I see that the most advanced AI technologies are still very much applicable to people who can um, who can bring in large amounts of uh, data and quite a lot of data scientists into their organization and invest in infrastructure and machine learning and things like that. But um, in my opinion, data is like age, you know, it can only increase. You're not going to get any less of it. You're only going to get more of it. That means pretty soon there isn't anyone from doctors to lawyers to architects who will not be using voluminous amounts of data, even if it's simple transactional data. We will run into terabytes very soon and petabytes. So what are we saying to them? Are we saying, go on, use your Excel, which crashes at a million rows? I mean, like, what, what are we going to do then? So it looks to me that it's obviously fairly simple that almost everyone will need to get access to at least some basic layers of advanced data sciences that is currently only available to the very tech elite uh, percentage. Um, so we wanted to build something that is no code, simple, very easy to use. There's a lot of cutting edge tech, but it's under the hood and it highly empowers the end user to be able to apply data sciences to their work uh, with far less training, um, like a seamless transition from, uh, let's say Excel to a data science tool with no training. So, so you, you touched on something that is that is very true, though, right? It, it impacts. It's something that impacts everyone. But right now, um, a lot of the access to the tools, or or even the basic basic understanding of it, uh, the ability to learn more about it, a lot of that is still um, compartmentalized or just being available to 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 the few. So, I like the fact that you're thinking about widening access to it and and get people. To, to have a chance to, to better know what it is, because like it or not, it is going to impact us. It is impacting us, and it is crucial that we understand what it is, and it's crucial that people have 
um, the, the chance to, to get to know it and use it. Um, what about the views though? Like yesterday I was, um, I, I was listening in to, to a few presentations by folks that were visiting um, Stanford, talks about humanity, talks about AI, talks about the dangers of it, if you will, because um, it is an emerging technology, but it's a technology that is powerful and will be even more powerful. Um, the question arises, will we end up doing more bad than doing good? Um, and, and, you know, what, what will happen to humanity if we yeah. take the extreme route and, and all of those? Yeah. Can you share with us what, what's your view on that? Yeah, um, I think I kind of partially shared the view and I partially don't. So for me, AI is kind kind of, okay, let's say any technology for me is like steel. Are you going to turn it into a blade or a safety pin is the choice of the human. Technology is fairly neutral. How we design and use it is up to us. And so AI is infinitely powerful, of course, and various forms of it are capable of producing immense damage as they're capable of transforming humanity the way we function today. But how we're going to do that and what we're going to do and wh why we should be driven towards it will greatly be determined by who we are. At what point are we in history? How stable are we as a society? How deprived are we? Um, and what happens in certain pockets of society who are so desperate enough? Like basically all of these things give rise to the questions of regulation, political and social stability, emotional stability. There's always the potential for misuse, absolutely. And I think there's the need to look into much deeper regulations than we have done so far um, but that being said it's it's a bit it's, it's, a, it's a dichotomous situation. If we look into excess overregulation as well, we will be stunting the growth, um, the level to which we can actually access high level data sciences and create transformational solutions. So absolutely, there is the potential uh, looking at deep fakes and um, the problem of biased data sets. Um, Elon Musk talking about the dangers of artificial general um, intelligence, AGI and things like that. There's definitely a lot of potential for damage, but I would focus a lot more on the human beings behind these initiatives um, because in the end, the chariot is neutral. Who's driving it is really important. We would like to give a mention to our creative partner, Tremendousness. Tremendousness is a creative agency that uses visual thinking, information design, and storytelling to help organizations explore innovations, products, and processes. Learn more at www.tremendo.us. That, that is true. One of the concerns I do have, though, is, isn't so much so about AI taking over the world, because I think humans do a fairly good job of, you know, messing up what we have yeah. to begin <laughs> with. Um, but, but it's more so the, the division, if you will, right? If you look at the developments going on in the world, politically and socially, um, the, the potential dangers of us splitting into AI developed by China versus AI developed by the rest of the world, then the question arises: you know, what can we even, or would we even be able to reconcile um, the, the two paths in the divided world and also the potential uh, ethics and values, if you will, right? Because if we cannot work together, we cannot agree on a common set 
of how we use the technology and the values that we abide to it, then it increases the chance of it being misused. Absolutely, and I and I think that one one way to to make sure that we're headed in the right direction is to I mean it sounds like a lot of um, eye wash, but I actually think that having diversity could greatly help because when you have different brains creating um, a very powerful thing, then we naturally uh, you know challenge each other and potentially harmful suggestions because of our different cultural backgrounds, mindsets, um, nationalities. Gender, and we naturally end up with a far more balanced set of decisions than we would if we had single-minded groups of particular um, class and type uh, creating them. So I think AI, uh, given where it is, is especially signaling to us that we're at a point in history in tech world where diversity is an extremely important factor in all possible ways. I I agree. It's、um, diversity, and like you say, not just gender, but also thoughts and backgrounds and all of that.、Yeah. And it's not just AI, right? It's technology in general. We can think of so much better use and more interesting use of what we're developing if you have more different ideas into it, rather than we all wearing the same thing and we all do the same thing. That's a very boring world. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think one diversity that is far less spoken about is also neurodiversity, the personality types. You know, we all tend to make companies and groups and friends where we have particular type of individuals、um, that we are comfortable with, and we、uh, do not invite others into our bubble who challenge that comfort or have a different style of thinking or behaving. I think that's leading to an extremely intolerant world, which is you know spilling on. Is spilling on in so many different ways, both political, economic, and otherwise.、Um, but also creating this kind of a imbalanced decision set that is giving rise to technology that is not so, or very far from perfect. I think、uh, being able to have organizations and groups that have high tolerance level for all kinds of people with different types of personalities and behaviors, you know, introverts, extroverts, talkative ones, the radicals, the people who are always awkward, the rude ones, the charmers, the talk, you know. Have everybody,、um, and only then can we really, really、uh, have true diversity. I guess. And I would love to work towards that world.、Um, it, it's a world that I think we need not just for ourselves, but also for our kids and the kids after. Yeah. So speaking of.、Um, What what applications of AI do you get the most excited? There are obviously you no know, no no lack of use cases, right? Some get really excited about advancement in healthcare.、Um, others get really excited about I don't know a silly little robot.、Um, I, I grew up in Asia, so my background was when when I think about robotics, when I think about、um, advanced machines, I think about those little. Corner street robots that are helpful to little kids and you know play with you and all that. But obviously, when I moved to the U.S., I realized that the world is full of dangers and there are terminators everywhere.、Um, what, what what applications、um, get get you excited and and or, or what else you would like to see happen from a development perspective? 
that you oh, want to see more of? So much, Tiel. I <laughs> in a million years. That's how much I want to see. I want to see like um, so much. I'm, I'm so excited about AI. I just think about data sciences all the time, way before it became um, sexy to do so. So it's, it's really all I do. Um, the, um, so yeah, I want to see a lot of stuff happening in healthcare, like you mentioned, because, you know, uh, there's there's a substantial part of the world at the base of Maslow's pyramid who could really really benefit from advancement in healthcare from remote surgeries to diagnostics to be able to provide that at scale at low cost or as a replacement for entry level diagnostics could save millions and millions of people from lots of contagious diseases um, advancing solutions in many parts of the world where, you know, um, you grew up in Asia, so did I. Like, there's so many overpopulated pockets that are uh, very underprivileged who could benefit from artificial intelligence helping them with diagnosis um, as well as early uh, treatment. Um, I'm super excited about genetics. I think um, I think there's so much potential for harm there as well. But that being said, you cannot help but be super excited about what is possible to do with the application of data sciences to genetics um, and what we can do to the very strain of species itself. Like what can we possibly create from artificial fibers to materials that help us get into space? Like a lot of things can happen. Um, I'm also super excited about AI in a particular part of finance that um, I haven't kept myself very abreast. I don't know what's happening. Maybe not that much got into my radar, but I think AI in microfinance could be an amazing, amazing thing to happen that could um, liberate and create opportunities for millions and billions of people. I'll tell you the one area I get excited about um, finance and AI, which not too many people at least not think of it from an application perspective is to help us automate our finances, not just, you know, budgeting and, and all that, but actually take into a much wider data set and thinking about everything outside of our immediate household. So for example, I'm in my late forties. I have two parents that live in Hong Kong um, and I have two little kids. Um, that that are in the states, and so for me, when I think about money, when I think about money, not just in present tense, but also in the future, I need to think about how do I balance between my own personal finance, my retirement, if there is such a thing, um, and <laughs> balance out my kids' education and and their needs, right? Because little kids cost mm. a lot of money, yeah. um, and also balancing out the needs to take care of my parents when they get older. So when you think about a financial perspective, it's becoming so much more complex. Our lives, our needs have gotten so much more complicated than, than how it used to be. It's not something that you can just, like you say, use an Excel spreadsheet to figure out, right? So this is where I see advancement in data analytics and AI to be able to do better. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think I recently got onto this technology, this little app that uses machine learning to help you generate small savings every day. Uh, but it was just a small step. But I think people are thinking about it in small steps, but definitely a lot to do. And it could be such a game changer for, you know, people like you and me um, who need to take care of decisions, both past and present and future. Yes, and, and we're not alone, right? We're all living with like what at least four generations and not five together. So this is going to be um, an immense challenge, but opportunity for us to actually use technology for good. Yeah. Um, 
So think about startups, right? You've been you've been through um, a few because you're a zero entrepreneur. By the way, kudos to you. I have a lot of respect for people who start up their own company. It's scary, frightening, but rewarding at the same time. Um, well, and you've done <laughs> good at many other things. <laughs> people who can't take instructions were jack of all trades. Maybe <laughs> there is that too. Or, or um, this morning, I had a newfound appreciation for teachers because. Oh my goodness! It's uh, well, it, yeah. you need patience. Yeah. You need to be a saint. Absolutely, uh, essentially, it's, it's uh, my dream job. Really, if I ever get into early retirement, I'm gonna teach. <laughs> That's what I. Oh my god! Yeah. Okay, <laughs> let's talk about that. There are different ways for therapy. <laughs> <laughs> But um, <clears throat> I, my my parents are both teachers, so I, I I see what they go through, and and now with kids of my own, I'm like, oh my goodness, why 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 why? Um, if I want punishment, I'll go do something else. But little kids are cute and they're wonderful and they give you hope. But still, you you need you need a lot of energy. Um, so starting up, actually, you know, if we think about startup, it's it's not that much different than than being a teacher. If you think about it, it's hurting the cats is having to wear many hats is having to care about a lot of things is is having to nurture new ideas nurturing a team building things up from the ground um in your point of view what what are some of the most important ingredients to to enable a startup to be successful we have no lack of failures let's just say we have no lack of spectacular oh my god what have you done um use cases but flip it the other way around what is important? What what makes a startup sustainable? Um, yeah, I, I think I think that's an amazing question, and I think a lot of people will answer it with very direct answers, like, you "Know your strategy? Are you an early exit? Are you do you want to be a unicorn? Do you want to be acquired by the industry? Do you want IPO? Whatever." So those are all tactical and strategic questions that can be handled um, once you know a few things about your company, which takes a little bit, by the way, to master. I think personally, um, and uh, take it or leave it, I think that that the way a startup becomes sustainable is uh, is not necessarily answering these questions. I think they come later. I think the main question is straddling a thin line between two things, um, two sets of things, actually. One is how flexible are you and how resilient are you? And we can go overboard in either categories, actually. You can be over flexible and lose um, complete definition. And you can also be over resilient to change and, and therefore fail because you can maneuver fast enough. So straddling the thin line between being flexible enough to, um, to harness the biggest opportunities, but being resilient enough to retain identity is a super important thing. And one can go overboard on either side fairly quickly. Um, it escalates very fast. And the second line to straddle is uh, the balance between ambition and practicality. What we need to project to different stakeholders at different times may require different levels of ambition and practicality. Um, that's not what I'm talking about. But deep down inside in the operations of the startups themselves, the decision makers, the executive teams, there should be a really clear understanding about what is ambition and what is practicality and what to prioritize at which time. If, if startups can straddle the line between these two sets of things, they will be sustainable because they will be light and flexible, but they'll also be resilient and have identity. Um, and I think they can do all of these things if they have one thing, um, which I've 
always emphasized on um, internal values, being super clear about who you really are and what do you stand for and what, what will you not do no matter what. Having this sort of a clarity on the philosophy and the purpose um, of the company can make you very, uh, very capable of straddling these lines because you can, you can answer any question as long as you're clear about the purpose and the values. It's like the uh, do no harm. Uh, that Google had. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of like that. Exactly. I, I was, um, so one of our mentors is uh, Bistown, the, the, the co-founder of Twitter and Medium, and he's also an investor in the company. He's invested in probably, probably a lot of uh, very successful companies from Slack to Intercom to Beyond Meat to Pinterest and Magic Leap, everything. And he's learned a lot of lessons along the way that he sometimes shares with us. Um, and I was discussing with him some time ago about this, like, why, why do you you think that we focus so much on values do you think it has helped us um and why didn't we just go for a vision or a you know mission statement um an okr on day one like you know and he was like because the purpose and the vision are very different things the purpose is why you exist and it's far deeper and far more fundamental and unchanging whereas the vision is how you're going to go about fulfilling that purpose now um and so in that respect at Ghana, we've always been very very clear about our purpose which has always been democratic access to advanced data sciences. The, the vision turns out to be different things. We had a version one of the product for different sectors, which had a certain motto and uh, a mission, etc. But now we have uh, a slightly more advanced mission and it will go on hopefully for a very long time. But the purpose has always been very clear. We want a lot of people to access things that would otherwise be really hard, expensive or almost impossible. In a way, it ties back to your first question. We want to empower people to dream you know you should be able to look at your finances or your transactions or your weather reports or your brand analysis and dream of doing really advanced things that you can now do super easily because you have access to something that empowers you to do that i love that um i think you should write a book about it Seriously. I will co-authored with you. <laughs> I, I I would I would be honored. Um, I I I mean it. Uh, it's just I mean everything you say makes sense and resonates and it also inspires. And those are the words that we need to get out there to inspire more people because what we see in the society is fragmented. Um, and and like you, what you were mentioning earlier is the intolerance of one to the other. Um, yesterday I shared a post on LinkedIn about. Um, generational conflict, and I guess it must have resonated because it has like a crazy amount of views, but also invited a lot of comments, comments that I didn't expect um, from people that I know, comments that I didn't expect from people that I know. Um, it, it's uh, I think, regardless of where you are, regardless of what social circles you belong to, regardless of what gender, what ethnicity, we are. I think there's one thing in common is that we all live in one earth. We have one planet. We have one world. And Absolutely. we cannot lose sight of that. 
Absolutely. I think it's the obvious next step of intelligence to be able to recognize that Homo sapiens are really just one species <laughs> and we just have got one home to live in. I mean, regardless of what we think, and it's highly connected socially, economically, um, the physics of it, the biology of it. We're really just one system and everything we do impacts each other. Like you made my day super awesome by saying all these wonderful things. So, you know, your, your influence spilled over to this side of the Atlantic and uh, we're going to have a great day here at Ghana, probably a great week because of you. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much. You just made my day too. So my next mission is to actually meet you in person. That Absolutely. I will put yeah. that in the diary. We'll need to make that happen. And uh, um, we will have our own co-author, our book as well. He's probably going to do the, the opening moment. <laughs> <laughs> the lurker. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So with that, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it's, it's an immense pleasure and an honor. Um, and we need to do this more often. Thank you thank so you. much, Gio. Have a brilliant day. See you soon. Bye. Thank you.